like one pastor said one day, he said, if you live for God, you can expect trouble from the world. Uh, the reason this is true is because we are no longer part of the world. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Jesus also told us we are the light of the world, and we are called to shine the light of Jesus that's in us brightly before others so that they can see our good deeds, so they can be drawn closer to God by God. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. Trouble from the world comes in many different forms. One such example is false accusations. Jesus told us about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He shared with us about false accusations as he was finishing his teaching on the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. These Beatitudes are the attitudes that we are to have as followers of Jesus. They're the very attitudes of Jesus. As he was finishing this teaching, he focused on the challenge of false accusations. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus shared these words, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said that we're blessed when others in this world persecute us and falsely accuse us because of our faith and trust in him. Jesus also said that we are to be glad and to rejoice when this happens to us because it means we're in good company. This happened to the Old Testament prophets. It happened to Jesus himself. And it has happened to Christ followers throughout the ages. It also happened to Paul. The false teachers and Judaizers falsely accused Paul throughout his ministry. Paul obeyed Jesus as he rejoiced in Jesus through it all, and his example encourages us today to live the same way, to rejoice and be glad in those times when others insult us, ridicule us, falsely accuse us, and say all kinds of evil against us because of our faith and trust in Jesus. Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 1. We're continuing our study through this fantastic first chapter in Galatians. We know that so far Paul defended his message and ministry against the false accusations of the false teachers and Judaizers. Paul rebuked the believers in these churches for so easily and quickly turning away from following God to turning to following the false teachers and their false teaching. Paul also explained why he wrote these words of rebuke in chapter 1. He explained his reasons in chapter 1. Now, we're going to go quickly through these first four reasons. So if you're taking notes and following along, we're going to go quickly through the first four reasons because we've shared these reasons in depth over the past few weeks. If you have missed a sermon recently, 
then I encourage you to uh, go on our website or get on our app, and you can uh, catch up on all the sermons in this series uh, so you can find out the background of where we're, we're going. Uh, we're going to hit these real quick, so let's do these real quick. I'm going to move fast. The first reason uh, that Paul wrote these words is Paul was an apostle. He was an apostle of God. The second reason Paul wrote these words is Paul loved these believers. The third reason Paul wrote these words is Paul wanted to please God. That's why he wrote these words. And then the fourth reason Paul wrote these words is Paul spoke for God. The fifth reason Paul wrote these words is Paul was changed by God. And so let's pick up real quick in verse 13, and we'll spend just a moment here. Paul was changed by God. Paul said in verse 13, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. Paul here in verse 13, he focused in and he shared his testimony of how God changed his life, which was more evidence, more proof that his message and ministry was from God, not from man. So Paul here is sharing before he met Jesus, and he said before he came to faith in Christ, he was committed to Judaism. Paul, before he came to faith in Christ, was known as Saul, and he preached and he believed salvation by good works. He preached and believed Old Testament, obedience to the Old Testament law and circumcision were necessary for a relationship with God. He did not preach and teach salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Before he came to faith and trust in Christ Jesus, he said he persecuted Christians and literally he tried to destroy Christianity. He wanted to destroy the church. He continued in verse 14, I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Paul was a rising star in Judaism. Before he came to faith in Christ, he excelled as a Jew. Paul said, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. I was zealous for those traditions. That meant that Paul was zealous. He was pursuing passionately the oral law interpretations of the Jewish rabbis that were added to the written law. So you have the written law in the Old Testament and the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then you had uh, these Jewish rabbis who added the oral law interpretations onto to the written law. And so Paul was working hard. Basically what Paul's saying is before I came to faith in Christ, I worked hard to earn my relationship with God. I was working hard. I was doing everything I could to obey the written law, the oral law. I wanted to earn that relationship with God. Paul was loved by the Jews and feared by the Christians. And he continued now in verse 15 and 16, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. In verse 15 and 16, we see a shift, and the shift is verse 13 and 14 was before Paul placed his faith in Jesus. Verse 15 and 16 was when Paul placed his faith in Jesus. Paul said, but when God, in verse 15, that meant when God saved him by his grace through Paul's response of faith in Christ Jesus. When Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, everything changed. But when God, he said, who from my mother's womb set me apart and 
called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. When God saved him by his grace, everything changed. God changed Paul from a persecutor to a preacher. Radical change in his life. Now, I want us to look at three. I want to identify three quick points that will help us as we continue to digest the truth in this passage. Three points about God's change in Paul. Three points, real quick. Number one, God's change in Paul blessed Paul. God's change in Paul blessed Paul. Paul was blessed, he was overwhelmed by the grace, love, mercy, and goodness of God to him in Christ Jesus. He was overwhelmed. Paul went so far as to say, everything that I used to consider gain, everything that I thought was to my good, everything that I trusted in, everything that I thought was to my account in a positive sense, he said, I now consider rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus. You see, God's change in Paul when Saul became Paul and he shifted and he became that man who loved the Lord and he was a preacher to the Christians instead of a persecutor of Christians. He was blessed by God, overwhelmed by God's grace, love, and mercy to him in Christ Jesus. The second point is God's change in Paul enraged the Jews. His change in Paul enraged the Jews. The Jews were irate, specifically the Pharisees. They wanted Paul to die. Why? Because he had defected. He changed sides. This, this Saul that was the rising star in Judaism now turned his back on Judaism. He didn't preach salvation by good works anymore. He didn't preach salvation by obedience to the Old Testament law and circumcision. He was now preaching salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. They were angry. They couldn't believe that he had changed sides. This is why the Jewish religious leaders themselves, and at times they would get mobs riled up, they followed Paul, they pursued Paul to cause trouble for Paul everywhere he went in ministry. As you read the New Testament, you see everywhere Paul went and planted churches and ministered, man, there was trouble. In a matter of time, there would be trouble. These false teachers these Jewish Pharisees, they were coming after him because they wanted to silence him. They falsely accused him. They arrested him. They beat him. They left him for dead. They wanted to silence him. The third point, God's change in Paul scared and encouraged the Christians. God's change in Paul scared and encouraged the Christians. Follow me now. The initial response of the disciples of the Christians in this time period to God's change in Paul was fear and hesitation at first. And I think that's understandable. They were scared. As you look, and we'll talk again about this, as the Lord, after he saved Saul on the Damascus road, the Lord appeared to Ananias and he said, hey, Ananias, who was one of his followers, the Lord's followers said, hey, Ananias, I need you to go to Damascus. And I need you to go to the house where Saul is. And I need you to lay hands on him so he can regain his sight. And Ananias said, uh, hold on a second here. Uh, Lord, um, do you know 
who you're talking about. And yet, we'll see here in just a moment, that's exactly what Ananias did. So initial response was fear and hesitation. This fear and hesitation gave way to rejoicing over God's change in Paul, which we'll see at the end of chapter 1 as we get to it here in just a moment. So we see these three points real clear as we made our way up to this point in chapter one, and we'll continue to see these points as we make our way through the rest of Galatians. Now, three application points for us. There are three application points for us that I want you to see in regards to our lives today from this passage. Application point number one, God's change in us blesses us. God's change in us blesses us. We too have been overwhelmed by the grace, love, mercy, and goodness of God extended to us in Christ Jesus. I'm sure that you can reflect on that time when you came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you were overwhelmed by God's grace, love, and mercy to you in Christ Jesus. You see, you began to realize fresh and new at that very point, you were forgiven by God. You were right with God. You became a child of God by faith in Jesus. You were a new creation in Christ Jesus. You began to realize what the scripture teach us that we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. When God changed us at whatever point, moment, and age in your life that happened, you understand and realize the same thing that Paul did, and that was that you were blessed by God in his love that just poured over you in Christ Jesus. We are blessed by God's change in us. Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor, I'm blessed in Jesus. We are blessed. Second, second point of application for us, God saved us to serve. Now, don't miss this. God saved us to serve. God saved Paul from sin, but notice God saved Paul for service. He saved him from sin, and he saved him for service. How do we know? Look at verse 16. To reveal a son of me, when God was pleased to reveal a son of me, mean, meaning when God saved me by his grace and my faith in Christ Jesus, was the very next phrase, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. God saved Paul by his grace through his faith in Christ Jesus, and God saved Paul for Paul to serve him by preaching Jesus to the Gentiles. So we know today that God saves us from our sin and God saves us for service to him. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Good works are a result of, not a requirement for, salvation. Good works are a result of, not a requirement for, salvation. God has saved us to serve. What does this mean? It means this. You need to use the gifts and abilities God has given you to serve in our church family. It means this. We need you to use the gifts and abilities that God has given to you to serve in our church family. But more important than either one of those first two points is this third point. Most importantly, God wants you to use the gifts and abilities he's given to you to serve in our church family. That's why God's given them to you. He gives us spiritual gift. He gives us our abilities, our skills that we use in the platforms that God gives to us in other areas and other ways throughout the week, but he also wants to, to use these in service to him. 
here in the church. So for those who are serving, thank you so much for your service to the Lord. And I understand that your testimony would be much like my testimony. And that is once you start serving the Lord and using the gifts and abilities he's given you to serve in his local church family, no one could keep you from serving because there's so many blessings that come from serving. It's the same principle when we give. When you start giving to the Lord and walk in obedience and giving, no one could keep you from giving to the Lord because you receive all the blessings that come from giving. We see this. The more we give, the more God blesses us. The more we serve, the more God blesses us through our service. The third application point, and this may be for some here this morning. I think it's for all of us, but there may be a few here that it's really pertinent to in a personal way, and that is simply this. Others don't always respond well. Others don't always respond well to us. What do I mean by that? I mean this. We saw it with Paul. We're under new management in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. We live for Jesus and we love like Jesus by the power of Jesus in us. But understand this. God's change in us doesn't always please those around us. God's change in us will not always please those who are around us, those who are still of the world, those folks who are separated from God because of their sin against God, those folks who are living in rebellion against God and opposition to God. The world is defined as those who are spiritually dead in their sins. They're separated from God because they're sin against God. They're living in opposition and rebellion against God. That's the biblical definition of the world. Those who are still of the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world because Jesus has called us out of the world. We shared at the beginning. But those who are still spiritually dead in their sins, those who are living in rebellion against God and opposition to God, those who do not have the Holy Spirit of God living within them, they may not like our way of life. They may not like the changes in us. They may not like our new way of life. They may not agree with our new way of life. They may not agree with what we believe. They may not like or agree with what we say. And this at times will produce insults, ridicule, persecution against us. Others will falsely say all kinds of evil against us. They will falsely accuse us. Why? Because quite simply, we're in the world, not of the world, and they're still of the world. And we're doing our best to shine the light of Jesus and to be the witnesses God's called us to be. But we need to understand others aren't always going to respond well. When this happens to you, and if this is happening to you, our response is simple. Be glad, rejoice, and trust in Jesus. So Jesus said, be glad and rejoice. And trust in him. Just trust him. He'll continue to encourage you. He'll continue to inspire you. He'll continue to help you endure. You can rejoice and be glad. Why? Because that persecution, those insults, that that ridicule, that opposition is because of one reason and one reason only. It's because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, when that happens, rejoice. Rejoice. And be glad you're in good company. And so we understand and realize we're still called to love those that God's placed around us. We're called to minister to them in his grace and his love and his mercy. But we're also called to minister to them and to speak his word in love and in truth. And so we see 
Paul is sharing these points with us. Then we look at the sixth reason Paul wrote these words. Paul was changed by God. He talked about his testimony. Now we continue. Paul was trained by God. We continue here in verse 16. When God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Remember, this is the context we need. Remember, there were the false teachers of Judaizers who were saying that Paul was not a genuine apostle of God. Therefore, his message and ministry was not from God, it was from man. Paul already said previously in chapter 1, as we've shared, the gospel I received, the gospel I was taught, the gospel I preached to you was not from man, it was from God. It came by revelation of Jesus Christ. And so here in the end of verse 16, and we're going to carry this all the way throughout the end of chapter 1, Paul now traces and he shares with these false teachers, he shares with these believers so that they can trust him, but he also shares the rebuke with these false teachers. He shares with them how God trained him for ministry. Paul's going to take us through his training program in these next passages. And Paul said, we're going to highlight the end of verse 16, I did not immediately consult with anyone. That means this. Paul is saying, I did not get advice, approval, instruction, or training from anyone, any other person in regards to God's call on my life, my message from God, and my ministry from God. Paul is saying, my message and my ministry was not from man prior to my salvation, at my salvation, and now he's talking about right after my salvation. My message and ministry was never from man. It was all from God. Paul is saying, I consulted God and I was trained by God for ministry. It was not by man. Why? The reason he's sharing this, the reason he's emphasizing this is the false teacher saying, oh, Paul made it up. It's all from man. Man taught Paul. You can't listen to Paul. You can't believe what he's writing. Paul said, no, no, no. He said, I didn't consult with anyone. He's making this point clear. Now what he does is as we look in these verses, he now outlines his training program. Paul's training program. So let's outline his training program. We're going to look at five steps that'll take us through the end of chapter one of Paul's training program. Five different phases. We won't stay long on any one in particular, but I want to hit these. Uh, And if you would, turn to your left and make your way to Acts chapter nine, because we're going to go back and forth from Acts chapter nine to Galatians chapter one. We're going to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So you might as well get going over there now so you can follow along. Here's the first phase of his training program. Phase number one, we're going to outline five phases. Phase number one, Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road. Paul met Jesus on Damascus road. Acts chapter nine, Luke is the author of Acts and Paul is the author of Galatians. Acts chapter nine, I'm again reading in verse one. Now Saul, again, Saul was his Jewish name, Paul, his Roman name. At this point in time, Paul was known as Saul. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found any men or women who belonged to the way he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This is when he was trying to destroy the church. He was persecuting Christians, he said. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Scripture, if you can read, says that the men who were with Saul, they heard, they, they were with him, but they didn't understand what was going on. Saul was struck with blindness. 
He couldn't see. And so they took Saul and they guided him. The men who were with him took Saul, guided him into Damascus. Saul couldn't see. Scripture says that Saul didn't eat or drink for three days. He didn't eat or drink for three days. He was sitting in Damascus, literally in the dark. And God came to Ananias and he said, hey, Ananias, I need you to get up and I need you to go to Damascus. And I need you to make your way to this house because when you get to this house, I need you to go in. There's a guy by the name of Saul there and you are to go in and you're to lay hands on him because as you lay hands on him, I'm going to enable him to receive his sight, to regain his sight. And so that's when Ananias is like, I'm not so sure about this, Lord. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Because this is Saul. And last time I checked, he was a really bad guy. I'm not sure I want to do this. God said, go. Ananias went. He got to the house. He laid his hands on Saul. And scripture says that God allowed Saul to regain his sights, like scales fell from his eyes. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Saul was changed radically by God's grace through his faith in Christ Jesus. This was when God was pleased to reveal his son in him, as he said. Uh, in Galatians 1. Second phase, we move right to the second phase. Paul was baptized in obedience to Jesus. Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Paul was baptized in obedience to Jesus. Continue down in verse 18. We see at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After he had taken some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. So here's what happened. We see Ananias goes, he gets to the house, he goes inside, he lays his hands on Saul, the scales fall from his eyes, Saul can see again, Saul placed his faith in Jesus, he had received God's gift of salvation by God's grace through his faith in Jesus, God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul, and then his first step of obedience after his faith in Jesus was baptism. He was baptized, it means he was dunked, he was immersed, he was baptized, it's a great practice. It's biblical practice for us. Come to faith in Christ Jesus. First step of obedience as a follower of Jesus is baptism. It's a step of obedience when we're uh, baptized uh, in obedience to Jesus. And so we see this then. He had some food. He regained his strength. And then he stayed there for a brief period of time in Damascus. Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road. That started his testimony. He didn't hear or receive or was touched by anybody other than the Lord. It wasn't a traveling missionary that shared the gospel. No, it was Jesus Christ himself who met him on the Damascus Road, one-on-one. He was then baptized in obedience to Jesus. And then we see the third phase is Paul went to seminary in Arabia. Let's look back to Galatians 1. So flip back over to Galatians 1, and now we'll pick up in verse 17. He said again, at the end of verse 16, I did not immediately consult with anyone, so follow. He said, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. So here's what he's saying. He's saying here at the beginning, he said, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Again, that's emphasizing what he had just said. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul said, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me, when he received Jesus on the Damascus road, he was baptized. And then after that point in time, he didn't leave Damascus then and go to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the Jerusalem church, those apostles, so that the apostles could teach him and train him and prepare him. No, he said, I didn't do that. 
I didn't do that. Paul is not minimizing these apostles because he was one just like them. He was maximizing God. He was maximizing God and God's work in his life. So he said, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who become apostles before me because this is what everybody would have expected him to do. But he didn't do that. He said, instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. At this point in time, Arabia, let's talk about Arabia for just a moment. Arabia was a large piece of land. It covered a lot of territory. Arabia at this time covered what we know today as modern-day Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and southern Syria. Huge piece of land. Paul's travels to Arabia. He said, I went to Arabia. So Paul's trip to Arabia would not have been a long trip. It would not have required days and days and days and days of travel. Why? Because Damascus was located in southern Syria. It was actually close to the border of Arabia. More than likely, what Paul did was he got up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God because he was filled with the Spirit, as we've seen in Acts chapter 9, and he went into Arabia. He crossed over into Arabia, and he found a place there where he would stay. And he got alone with God, and he found a place to stay there by himself. Just like Jesus did often in his days of his earthly ministry, Paul got alone with God so they can listen to God, learn from God, and grow in his faith in God. God taught and trained Paul by his Holy Spirit in Paul. Paul was saved, he was baptized, and then he went into Arabia and he got with the Father. And he was ministered to there by God. By the Holy Spirit of God living in Paul, he taught, God taught and trained Paul, prepared him for ministry. Now, if you know the background of Paul, you know this. Paul had the best education in Judaism possible. When Paul was Saul, he had received the best education possible. Scripture tells us that Paul was trained under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the best, the most influential Jewish rabbi. He was the best, most influential Jewish Pharisee at that time. There was no one better than Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was the one who taught and trained Saul in Judaism, which is why he was advancing in Judaism. Now what Paul is saying here is as good as that training was, and it couldn't be topped in Judaism. He said, I even got a better training in regards to the grace and love and truth of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I got the best seminary education and training possible. He said, my seminary education and training was from Almighty God. It was me and God. And so we see, again, remember, these false teachers, these Judaizers saying, this, this guy, he's not an apostle. He's not a real, but you can't listen to him. You can't believe what he's saying. He's making everything up. He was taught by men. He's not speaking for God. And so Paul knew this, and so he's rebuking these false teachers, and he's encouraging these believers to, to listen to him. And so he's taking them through his steps of ministry to let them know, no, he was an apostle of God. His message of ministry was from God. And so he went to seminary in Arabia. Fourth phase is Paul visited Jerusalem. 
he visited Jerusalem. We look and continue in verse 18. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. So let's look at what's going on here. We, we find out Paul filled in some of the detail for us here in this passage. So what we know is Paul was in seminary, and we now have some context. Paul's seminary training in Arabia and back and forth to Arabia and Damascus lasted about three years. He was in seminary for three years or so because he said, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem. So if you look back in Acts chapter 9, we see this all starts to come together. Look in Acts chapter 9, and let's pick up in verse uh, 20. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on his name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He was saved, he was baptized, he was in Damascus, he left and went to Arabia, and he went back and forth from Arabia to Damascus because it was, again, real close to one another. He was in seminary for about three years. While he was in seminary, what was he doing? He was preaching and teaching Jesus. That's what he was doing. He was going back and forth from Arabia to Damascus, preaching and teaching Jesus, and we know what happened here was the folks here in Damascus, as he was preaching during those three-year period of time, they were confounded. They couldn't believe what was going on. They were amazed. They were astounded. They were thinking to themselves, is this this really? This is Saul. This is the guy that was persecuting the church and, and killing Christians. And now he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were blown away. They couldn't believe it. Secondly, as he was preaching, God by his Holy Spirit was training him, giving him a seminary education. He was putting it to use, preaching and teaching. And the Jews were confounded. The Jews in Damascus were confounded. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. This rising star in Judaism had changed sides. And because he was so good in Judaism, because he now had the Holy Spirit of God living in him and God had trained him, they had no chance against him. They were trying to debate him. And as you can well imagine, Paul was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I I remember that. Yeah, I used to believe that. Let me tell you why I don't now. Let me tell you why that's not. Let me tell you, everything the Jews would say He would know. They couldn't get past him. They couldn't get anything past him. They were confounded. They couldn't believe it because he knew their stuff better than they did. And he knew their stuff was wrong because he was now filled with the Spirit of God. And so he was teaching truth. Well, we see, obviously, what happened. It happened all throughout his ministry. Look at verse 23. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. (laughs) They said, said, man, we, we got nothing. We got nothing for this guy. Let's kill him. That's exactly what they did. Let's kill him. So what happened? Well, then we get back to Galatians chapter 1. After three years, after this was going on, the plot was known that they were trying to kill him. What happened? He went up to Jerusalem. Paul left and went to Jerusalem. He said in verse 23, after many days of passed, the Jews conspired in Acts 9 to kill him, but Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching him at gates at day and night, intended to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him through a large basket and an opening in a wall, and he went to Jerusalem. Now we pick up in verse 18. He went to Jerusalem, and who did he go to Jerusalem to see? He went to see Cephas. Y'all know who Cephas is. Cephas is Peter. So he went to Jerusalem. 
and he goes to meet Peter. And so he's now in Jerusalem, and he told us that he went there for 15 days. He spent 15 days in Jerusalem, and his sole purpose was to go meet Peter, to go talk with Cephas. Not to be trained and taught by Peter, but to get to know Peter. That's what he said here. He said in verse 18, after years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. Say that with me out loud. To get to know Cephas. He went to get to know Peter. Now, Luke told us back in Acts 9, when he got to Jerusalem, Barnabas had to come in because Peter wasn't real excited to see Paul because he wasn't sure if this change was accurate yet or not because he hadn't talked to him yet. So Barnabas, the son of encouragement, got together and he got Paul and he got Peter together. and He said, it's okay, it's all good. And Barnabas shared what God had done for him, how God had changed his life. And so Peter now and Paul, Peter, God's missionary to the Jews, Paul, God's missionary to the Gentiles, are having a 15-day meeting in Jerusalem. You talk about a power-packed meeting. Wow. Those guys are getting to know one another. No doubt, at this point in time, Paul's sharing with Peter all that God did for him. And, and Peter's like, man, that is amazing, dude. I can't believe I thought you were going to kill me. You were constantly trying to kill me, man. I can't believe this change. This is awesome. Going back and forth. And then look at what uh, Paul continued in verse 19. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God I'm not lying in what I write to you. So now we get a little bit more clarity. What, what, what do we find? Paul was in Jerusalem for 15 days. He met with Peter, one, for 15 days, got to know him. But he also met with James. That was the only other apostle that he met with. Peter and James met with Paul for 15 days. That's it. That's the only ones he met with. He was just getting to know him. Why James? Well, James was the brother of Jesus. James was the leader of the first church in Jerusalem. And James is the author of the New Testament book of James. And so these guys got together and they fellowshiped. And Paul said to them, I declare in the sight of God, I'm not lying in what I write to you. He gave him an oath, a promise. He said, I'm telling you the truth, a promise. A promise, this is what happened. They didn't teach me, they didn't train me. I just got to know them. We just hung out. Well, what happens if you continue looking in Acts after 15 days in Jerusalem, the Jews decided they wanted to kill Paul again because they found out he was there. And they heard that he was talking with Peter and James. So Peter and James sent him on. So the fifth stage is Paul ministered in Syria and Cilicia. He went to Syria and Cilicia. Look at verse 21. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remain personally unknown to the Gian churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is awesome. Look at this. He went to Syria and Cilicia, and he ministered there. He ministered for a period of time. He left Jerusalem, and he went up there. He specifically ministered in Tarsus. Tarsus was Paul's hometown. Tarsus was located in Cilicia. Now, get this. As you see, we don't have a lot of details as to what went on in Syria and Cilicia. We don't have the details. The reason is we don't need the details because God didn't give us the details. What we know is this. Paul ministered in Syria and Cilicia at this point in time. And what we know is he remained unknown 
to the Judean churches. That's what he said in verse 21 and 22. He said, I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches. What does that mean? He says, they didn't know me face to face. The first church in Jerusalem and the other churches outside Jerusalem that were springing up, they didn't know me personally. They didn't have face-to-face interaction with me. Why? Because he only spent 15 days in Jerusalem, and in those 15 days, the only people he saw were Peter and James. Uh, That's it. He was talking with Peter and James. He didn't meet with the other disciples. He didn't have a church meeting. They remain personally unknown. But he also said, however, he said, they simply kept hearing. They kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. So though these churches and these Christ followers and these believers in Jerusalem and Judean churches, they didn't know him personally. They were glorifying God because they kept hearing from Syria and Cilicia, the news hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from from Judea. They kept hearing this news that this persecutor was a preacher now. And they glorified God. It's important to know that glorified is in the imperfect tense. That means it was a repeated action. So it wasn't like these Judean churches glorified God and praised God. Woo, that's awesome, God, all right. And they went all about their business. No, 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 no. They glorified God all the time. Can you believe, have you heard, have you heard about Paul? He's preaching now. He's not trying to destroy us anymore. He's preaching Jesus. They glorified God. What Paul was saying was this, my message and my ministry was from God. My message and ministry was through God. My message and ministry was for the glory of God. He said, you can trust me. He said, I'm not lying to you. Paul's point, his first point, let me give you two points that Paul made real quick. Paul's first point, you can trust me. He was telling these believers, you can trust me. I'm not lying to you. I was the one who planted your churches. I was the one who taught you. I'm not lying. Listen, you can summarize, I can summarize Paul's testimony in two words. Here it is. Take notes, write this down. This was Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony can be summarized in two words, only God. Only God. Only God could change me. Only God could forgive me. Only God could save me. Only God could heal me. Only God could love me. Only God could call me to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. Only God could empower me to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. Only God could empower me to persevere in my faith in Christ Jesus. Only God could use me, a persecutor, the worst of all Christians. Only God. And guess what? Here's the good news for you and me this morning. Paul's testimony is our testimony today. Our testimony is real simple. Only God. You want to, if somebody asks you what's your testimony, I would encourage you to say only God. Only God. Only God changed me. Only God could forgive me. Only God could save me. Only God could empower me to live his way. Only God could fill me with his spirit. Only God could love me. Only God could heal me. Only God could give me the power to endure and persevere in my faith in Christ Jesus. Only God could use me for good. Only God. That's why we say around here all the time, go, God, go. When our testimony is only God, our only response is to say, go, God, go. 
God, you're at work in my life to willing to work according to your good purpose. God, you've told me you're going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The testimony of my life is only God. So God, why don't you just go? Go, God, go. In me, through me, around me. Go, God, go. That's what Paul was saying. Paul's first point, you can trust me. Paul's second point, you can trust God's message through me. Paul said, you can trust me. And you can therefore trust God's message through me. Paul said, salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I'm telling you, Judaism is not the way to God. Good works are not the way to God. He's saying, I can tell you firsthand, salvation is by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So what's our application? Our application is real simple. Number one, first point of our application is trust God's Word. Trust God's Word. God's Word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We can trust this Word. This Word is inspired by God. It's useful. It's profitable for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness so that we'll all be ready, mature, equipped, and able to do all that God's called us to do. As we hide this Word in our heart, we will not sin against the Father. We'll be able to choose to go God's way instead of giving in to the temptation to sin. As we confess our sins, God will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can trust this Word. We can trust the truth of this Word. More importantly, we can trust the God who wrote this Word. We can trust the promises of God here in this Word. Our first application, we continue to trust God's Word. Second, we need to glorify God because of His change in us and others. Glorify God because of His change in us and others. We are new in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. That's awesome, isn't it? Okay. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. We are no longer dead in our sins. We're no longer separated from God because of our sins. We're no longer on a collision course with an attorney in the fires of hell. We have been brought to life spiritually by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We who once turned away from God and we did our own thing in our own way. We've been supernaturally changed by God. He has raised us to new life in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. And we have an eternal home in heaven waiting on us. This world isn't our home. We have hope today and hope tomorrow and hope for eternity because we're going to spend eternity with our Father in heaven and we're going to glorify him and we're going to praise his name throughout eternity. And so this is choir practice right now and we need to be glorifying and praising God for his change in us in Christ Jesus. Amen. And we need to glorify God, his work, and we need to glorify God for his change in others. It is such a blessing to see God change lives for eternity. Such a blessing. And when we glorify God, because of his change in us, as followers of Jesus Christ, what we'll find in our lives is the same thing Paul was able to see. Each day we will spend our time as followers of Jesus. We'll, we'll run to Jesus We'll rely on Jesus because there's points and times in our lives as followers of Jesus where we need to run to Jesus because life is overwhelming. There's every time as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to rely on Jesus. We can't do it in our strength. There are other times where we just need to rest in Jesus. We just need to rest. We're exhausted. We're tired. Life's too much. We just need to 
nestle up to the Father and just rest in Jesus. And then, as Paul shared, we can always rejoice in Jesus because of his change in us. And then, for those that also Paul was writing to that were still part of the world, the response for you this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is just simply receive Jesus. Receive God's gift of salvation by his grace to your faith in Jesus. The change that happened in Paul's life, the change that's happened in my life, the change that's happened in our lives can happen in your life as well. It's the greatest change ever. Let me encourage you to bow in prayer. Let me encourage you, my brother, my sister in Christ, as the worship team comes to lead in this response of invitation. Let's just respond to the Lord. Let's, let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's, let's run to the Lord. Maybe just renew your reliance on the Lord. Maybe you're just exhausted and you just need to rest in the Lord. The altar is open as it always is. Maybe you want to just grab your spouse's hand, lean over to them, pray with them, hug them, encourage them, speak a word of truth to them. Maybe you want to come with your brother or sister in Christ Jesus and kneel and pray. Let's just focus in on the Lord and his work in our lives. If for no other reason, let's rejoice. Let's just rejoice and how he's changed us in Christ Jesus. If you're here in person or streaming online, you've not received Jesus, and I would encourage you to do so this morning. Our pastors will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. They'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Jesus took your place on the cross. He paid your price for sin. He lived a perfect life. He paid the price for our sin See, we're sinners and we're separated from God because of our sin against God. And there was no way for us to get rid of our sin and get to God on our own. There had to be a sacrifice. And that ultimate sacrifice was Jesus himself on the cross of Calvary for you and me. He died. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. He's alive and wants a relationship with you. You enter that relationship with the Father by just simply repenting of your sins, telling God, you know what, God, I'm, I'm done living my way. I want to live your way. I'm going to turn from my sin and selfishness, and I want to turn to Jesus. I confess my sin to you, God. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I believe Jesus is the only way for me to enter a relationship with you, God. Faith and trust in Jesus. And so, God, I, I place my faith in you as best as I know how. I place my faith in Jesus. I receive your gift of salvation. And God, help me to live my life for you from this point forward. God will do it. He'll answer that prayer. He'll change you from the inside.